Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. Going to Beijing, I had talked to Sally Gunnell and I asked her what she did mentally to prepare. I just realized in that moment, I was in a fight for my life. There's no greater feeling than seeing your name come up in lights on the Olympic big screen. Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadvent. Today I'm joined by Tasha Danvers. She sings, she models, she motivates, and she's a pretty damn good runner too. She won Olympic and Commonwealth medals over 400 metre hurdles, and quite honestly, abandoning any journalistic integrity, she's one of my favourite people in the sport. Tasha, it's good to see you. Hey, even better to see you, Chris. How are you doing? <laughs> doing all right, doing all right. Yeah, doing all right. Let's go through your journey then, Tash. So let's go right back to the start then. Your folks were quite athletic, weren't they? Yes, actually. My dad was a hundred hurdler for Hern Hill Harriers and my mum did the javelin and the high jump for Croydon Harriers. Right, okay, okay. And did they reach they reached quite a high level, those guys? Well, my dad was pretty well known for his age because they you know, they both stopped around fifteen. My mum was a foster kid, my dad, you know, had a tough upbringing. So you know, for them at that age from the culture they were from athletics wasn't something that you did for a career it was like yeah okay stop playing now with your legos and let's get on with serious life so that's not something they were able to um pursue but i think had either of them might have might have got a lot further than you know just juniors and club level you reckon yeah well at least they got to live vicariously through your achievements oh yeah (laughs) it's a lot of vicarious living (laughs) okay good 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 and it was it was in croydon you grew up well, I actually spent most of my time in Sydney, right? So, um, we, li- what did we live? We lived in, um, oh, we lived in Sydney most of my life because I went to Sydney Girls School and, um, uh, we probably lived there from the time I was around 12 until ever, until I left, um, to, to come to the States. So, long time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And what was what was childhood like for you in in South London? Well, you know, London's London. It's cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. You know, London is a vibrant place. Um, I just remember bombing about with my cousin. You know, you get your travel card or whatever, and whoop, whoop, you just go everywhere. <laughs> That's the part of London that I love so much. It's like one minute I could be in Sydney, twenty minutes later I could be in the West End, twenty minutes later I could be in a completely different city. You know, it's just it's a vibe so yeah good good stuff so when did you start doing athletics then um school really right so you know sports days you have that kind of stuff and because I went to Sydney Girls it's close to Crystal Palace so we used to um have our sports days there and um I think like my PE teacher was like okay something's going on here you should you know join a club which my parents probably knew that already but you know they were just gotten in on and when I was younger, I used to do like lots of different stuff because I wanted to be a hundred meter runner, right? 
But my dad kept saying, do the hurdles, do the hurdles, which is the same thing I keep saying to my son now, but he's way more stubborn than me, so he's still not doing it. Um, <laughs> but um, I ended up doing the hurdles and um, doing the pentathlon. And from there, I went, the, I had a coach at Croydon Harriers, and I don't know, maybe he's, he's old school. So he was like, you know, you can't be doing all these events. I'm like, now I look back, I'm like, I was 14. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I should be doing all those events, right? But he told me I couldn't do all those events. I should, you know, focus, you know, and figure out, um, you know, or or not train with him, either do one event or not train with him. So I was like, oh my god, I've got to keep doing it. So I just stopped doing the multi events, which I don't know. I think I could have been pretty decent at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I can't complain. I ended up with an Olympic medal in the end. Um, but yeah, I went to Croydon Harriers and um. I know a lot of people were uh, worried about my hurdling. Right? <laughs> so uh, after a competition, I kept asking around, like, who's the best hurdles coach? And everyone said, you should you should train with Julie Vernon. And so I ended up asking her if she would coach me. and She'll tell you that story. She's like, you just walked up to me and said, can I train with you? <laughs> As a little since she said, I saw your legs and I said, of course. <laughs> she was my first like real um real hurdles coach and she she was a commonwealth games champion herself okay okay and then you mentioned a bit of a typical journey english schools and off to the european juniors world juniors you were you were on your way you're on that trajectory weren't you pretty quickly yeah yeah definitely and it's funny because, you know, some people will ask, you know, was this your dream? Who, you know, I wasn't really one of those people who was sitting around, you know, watching athletics saying, oh, one day I'm going to be like so and so. It was like you said, you know, OK, won that, won that sports day, international schools, and it just mm. kept going. And I went with the flow. <laughs> cool, cool. I guess it got a bit serious. You started to get into Commonwealth Games and European Champs then in 98. Sure. Do, do you remember that being a bit of a step up? Yeah, but it was interesting because Kuala Lumpur was was uh, really interesting games just for so many reasons. Like, for example, yeah. the the championship wasn't ready for the athletes to arrive. Like, the buildings weren't finished, electric sockets open, all kinds yeah. of stuff. It was nuts. It was a straight final, my event. Like, I don't, yeah, I, I don't even think really? that's happened. Yeah, it was a straight final okay. in 1998. So, I mean, that was a different experience for me because it was my first major championships, but it wasn't really like a major championship because you're never going to have a situation like that um, in a lifetime. It's not something that's going to be common. So I um, I did get the experience, but it was a, it was like a, almost a middle ground like a middle point of the experience it wasn't like the full experience so it was probably good for me that it wasn't yeah like that. but yeah it was good I, I was glad because obviously I had to do well to even be picked to go on that so it was just it was a nice transition from juniors to seniors yeah yeah and I guess the full experience is going to Sydney then wasn't it that's that's when you really was the full oh, experience yeah. Uh, that's big yeah. time isn't it well 99 i went to seville so that was that yeah. i really got to you know that was huge in comparison to kuala lumpur um and so yeah by the time i got to sydney i'd had that experience of seville so i was like yeah and were you have you got semi-finals there was it was it a good ex- i mean did you feel like a real you're on the world stage now you're a proper world-class athlete you mean in seville in, in sydney in sydney 
Oh, well, Sydney made the final. So Sydney oh, yeah. was um, it was it was it was really it was like it was the first time I realized. Um, well, I say looking back now, what it was gonna take mentally to do well in mm. the sport, right? Because I had spoken to Sally Gunnell, I think, prior to that meet. And kind of asked her what kind of things she did. Actually, I spoke to her after that in the lead up to 2008. But I had, um, when I was about 14 years old, Judy put me in, um, an indoor meet against some of the best seniors we had at the time. I think Jackie Adjapong was in that race. I think Samantha Farkerson was in that race. They were the best at the time. And I got so nervous. I, I didn't run well because I got left in the blocks, you know, over mine going everywhere. And um, after the race, I looked at the results and realised that if I just run what I always ran in practice, I could have been in the top two, at least in that race against seniors. So Mm. at 14, I realised that something clicked in my head that no matter how much physical work you do if you're not mentally ready it won't matter Mm. and so from that point on I started doing mental rehearsal I didn't know what I was doing at the time but now looking back I know what I was doing I kept visualizing myself and and um you know what we call empowered thinking um I kept just making affirmations that you know it's just another race it's just another race. It's another 10 hurdles. And so I was that positive self-talk. I'd been doing that since I was 14 all the way till I got to Sydney. And so Sydney was not overwhelming for me because I had been telling myself for almost 10 years by that time, it's just another race. And so I think that was the difference between myself and the other girls that were selected in Sydney for the four hurdles because I could see the difference between them and myself in terms of how they were mentally handling. There was a lot of like, oh my gosh, it's Olympic. You could see and sense mm. the fear. And I was just like, it's just another race. And I think that did allow me to run at my best. Because again, um, once you, if you get to a major championships and you've never gone to a major championships, not even in your mind, it's going to be a big shock to your system. There is nothing like it. So if you don't, use the opportunity of time before you have to get to that in your head mm. it's a waste of of a great opportunity because you can go there you can go to the major champ before you get to the major champ in your mind and it will make a difference that yeah kind of. uh, yeah i think that's something that just marks you out i think when i think about you i think that um you know athletics is a very it's a sport of precision and science in many ways you know, it's about hitting the numbers and technique those type of things, but actually we're all just flesh and bones, aren't we? Uh, yeah. And I think, you, I think you understand the that more than a lot of other athletes do. It's a real feature. It, it, that's what distinguishes you, I think, uh, from other athletes. That positive right. energy, that, that all those things you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Good, good. Um, so next couple of years, you got to, you went to, well, the Commonwealth Games a bit disappointing, wasn't it? I remember you getting a bit upset there, didn't you, at the Commonwealth Games? You didn't quite 
Um, did achieve there? Who are you talking? 2002? 2002 in Manchester, yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't I fall at 2002? Yeah, you fell there, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would definitely yeah. be disappointing, Chris. I don't know if you've done sports before, but falling yeah, is, no, is, not is good. definitely disappointing. Not good, not good, not good, no. <laughs> no, not good, not good. Um, and then, and then the next Olympics, you, you didn't do the next Olympics, did you? Because it was, because uh, you, yeah, well, you became a mum then, that. yeah. Yeah, I missed um, that as well. Yeah, and you have you have spoken about this in the past, haven't you? But it was uh, it was a uh, it was you were in the peak of your career, weren't you? Uh, and you yeah, weren't sure yeah. whether to. I mean, it wasn't the best, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, but just talk me through that time. What happened then? Yeah, so you know, I I was married. We got pregnant. I had my son, and you know, it was pretty tough because there was a lot of negativity in terms of um, you know that happening during my career. But you know, in the grand scheme of things. Beyond everything else, beyond the sport, you're still human. And at the end of the day, this is still life. And athletics is not going to be there for your entire life. <laughs> you know, there are there is life before, during and after athletics. Athletics is actually quite a small segment of your entire life. And so it was life. Life was happening. And, you know, timing wasn't the best, but. My son is here. He's an amazing guy. He's on. He's he's in university now and on a track and field scholarship. So it's like the next generation, and he's doing a really good job. So I'm I'm proud of him. I'm proud he's here. I'm happy he's here. And I guess he lives on. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah. But you, but you did get back to the athletics, didn't you? Back in with with the Commonwealth Games again. You decided to win medals. You you won a medal at the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, I trained throughout my pregnancy. So 2004, 2005, um, uh, he was seven months old. Wait, sorry, what my years? He, yeah, so I had him in mm. 2004, December. So 2005, um, when he was about seven months old, I started to compete again. Uh, I ran at the UK Nationals. I think I came fifth, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, if I can come fifth with everything that I've had to, because, you know, coming back from pregnancy, I don't know what other women experienced, but it was not easy. It was mm. hecka hard. So, um, it's, oh, my God, it's an uphill climb. So when I came fifth it gave me a real like fire that I was you know fifth to first this is not a far distance so that mm. really inspired me to to keep going and then I just busted my ass <laughs> yeah yeah you came back better than ever didn't you I mean you went in, when you went to the Commonwealth Games and yeah right. that was exciting yeah. because you know you imagine prior to me having my son I hadn't won a senior anything. I hadn't won yeah. a senior championship medal. And there was a lot of people that said, basically, my career is over. You know, this wasn't the era where athletes were having babies, right? Mm. There's more people doing that now in their career than, than before. They, that wasn't the area where, where you know, athletes would stop to have babies. It was not heard of. So people were, you know, basically saying careers over. So to come back from having my son and do better than I had before I didn't have a championship medal prior to that it was a real I was really you know happy about that obviously 
Yeah, yeah, well done. And, and you're on your way to Beijing for the, the, the and that was, uh, it wasn't all plain sailing that year, though, was it, in 2008 for yeah, you? Yeah, no, a lot of injuries. Um, but like I said, you know, prior to going to Beijing, I had talked to Sally Gunnell and I asked her what she did mentally to prepare. And, you know, she told me, you know, a lot of great things that really helped me realize what I needed to focus on so you know I had that I had my own physical talent I had what what did she what did she say to you do you remember what she said to you yeah she said that the mental it was the her mental work she worked really hard on her mental game and preparing in her mind before she got there and so because she um had a, a strict mental programming right mental rehearsal regime she said by the time she got to uh barcelona she walked into the stadium and she felt like she'd been there before and it was to her it, it just it felt so comfortable and this is what i'm saying if you don't go to the championship before you get to the championship it changes things but if you do if you use your mind to actually go to the championship over and over and over before you get there it's such a huge um, benefit. I mean, just just go study. The, there's tons of studies out there now on, on mindset and there's tons of studies on visualization and mental rehearsal that prove time and time again how much of a powerful, powerful tool it is. And not just in sports, in everything that you do. And mm-hmm. so she taught me that. And that was a huge, huge change in addition to obviously um, it's the hardest I've ever trained in my life leading up, leading up to, to, um, leading up to Beijing. So the combination of really up leveling my mental game and up leveling my, cause my mental game was pretty decent before, but she, you know, that took it to another level, but then mm. doing, um, you know, so well on the physical side, really, cause I started even beyond my coach, I started, you know, interviewing, people who specialized in nutrition and uh, even distance runners, because I knew as a, uh, a 400 hurdler, I had to really have a high level of speed, speed endurance. So I started interviewing and asking them, you know, what, what makes, what do they think and doing all kinds of things that I hadn't done before, like 600 time trials and all sorts of things. And so the combination of really getting serious about every aspect is why I was able to do so well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what, is it the visualization that was that helped and actually visualizing and imagining doing it? Not- visualization, huge, huge. Mm. Of course, you can't just sit around and visualize and think that that's going to. But if you combine real understanding of your score and what it takes, plus the visualization, plus eating right, you know, taking care of your nutrition, you put those things. It's like, you know, a Marvel movie that everything comes to, <laughs> you know, Transformers. You just bring all the elements that are necessary to be successful together at the same time. And it's like explosive. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're eating right and you happen to be talented, you'll run well. Right. So let's just say I've, I eat pretty decent. I'm talented. I'm going to do well. But if I add, you know, a real understanding of the sport and what it takes to do the right training for my event, plus visualization, Plus proper care of your body after you finish. Am I getting massage? Am I, you know, stretching all these things? If you mm. put them together, that takes me to a different level. A lot of talented people don't do the extra stuff 
like dot their I's and cross their T's and make sure they're stretching properly, make sure they're getting proper rehab or, you know, uh, taking care of their body, make sure they're getting massage, make sure they're resting properly, going to sleep at the right times, waking up at the right times, staying off their feet. They go to a championship and they go sightseeing for days on their legs, the same legs they're going to ask to do the best they've ever done, right? All these little things, the details, the, the, <laughs> it's in the details. When you get to the highest level, everyone's talented. What's mm. going to make the difference is are you focusing and are you paying attention to the, to the, to the details that will get you to the top and visualization mm. as well as physical, those are the two biggest things. I think when it comes to success in sports or life, to be honest. Yeah, and, and the, that that year you were, I mean, from the outside, it, it, it wasn't obvious what was going to happen because you didn't win the trials, did you? You were second in the trials to Perry Shea Strait. Oh, was... I was having one of the worst years of my life, just constantly <laughs> injured, constantly, you know, having issues with the physical side. My brain was strong, but you know, again, when you have these physical issues like injury, if your mind isn't strong, you it's so easy to give up. Oh my gosh, I should, there's so many times I should have given up and there's so many times then that I had I not had the str- the strength in my mind, like so many people would have given up with the things that I was challenged with that year. Um mm. it was just constantly something like, oh my gosh. So um but again I had trained so hard um, you know, it, it, it did allow wiggle room, right? <laughs> so, cause that, you know, you imagine you, you train this hard. Mm. If you have a situation that sets you back, you're like all the way down here. But if you've trained this hard and you set you back, you're still up here. <laughs> mm. Right. So the combination of that and my mind, my mind, I had seen myself on the podium so many times. My mind could actually not comprehend another option so even though I didn't win the trials I just my brain could not comprehend that that I wouldn't still be going so even after I did not win I still just carried on like I did have my little chocolate meltdown after the race because I was really (laughs) about that (laughs) but but after that I just snapped back into it like my brain snapped back because that wasn't my norm my norm was you're going to the Olympics and you're going to be on the podium because I'd seen it so many times kind of like Sally you know had it had experienced you know eight years Mm -hmm. sorry years well 2008 yeah six years prior or whatever four years prior I can't remember I'm not good with math (laughs) 16 years before Before, before, whatever it was somebody figure it out right and so it was so normal to my brain. I couldn't do anything but believe until I heard the team management say I wasn't on the team. My brain could not comprehend that that was even a possibility. And that's the kind of level of certainty you need to be at in order to get the best of yourself in your life or in your sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's really hard work to get yourself to being so certain that you just know that success is inevitable. Yeah, yeah. But just to paint the picture of the challenge you faced that year. I mean, would I be right in saying you were separating from your husband at that time as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was separating from my husband, and my husband wasn't just any guy off the street. My husband was actually my coach <laughs> for the games. Yeah. 
So you can imagine that brings its own challenges. So yeah, it was it was not easy. I was constantly injured. My son was only three years old. Um, and so I was away from him. My marriage was coming to a close and it, yeah, I mean, probably if I was in a different situation, who knows? I might have gotten an upgrade on my medal. <laughs> <laughs> but when you got there, you absolutely nailed it, didn't you? You really performed on the top, on the top stage. You got the best out of yourself at the right time. Yeah. The interesting thing is I had no idea because my performances up to that point had not been fantastic. I didn't have a clue where I was at. You know, as an athlete, you you want your markers. You want to have done different competitions leading up to kind of get a feel for where I, I had no idea where I was. At. I knew I was strong. I knew. But, you know, feeling ready and strong and all that doesn't matter. Um you know, it doesn't necessarily click as because you're because I'm a hurdler, right? Hurdling just isn't something that just you just slide back into, right? It's 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 a rhythm. You get used to the rhythm. So I didn't know where I was, you know, in terms of where I was at with the hurdling side. I knew I was strong. I knew I'd done enough to be there, but you know, I didn't know how the hurdling side would go. And after I did the first round, I knew. First of all, when I when they told me I was selected, I knew something great was going to happen because it just went in alignment with everything that I'd seen in my head. I felt like, oh, this is about to be a life changing experience. And so when I went to the first round, there was still some, you know, nerves and apprehension. Would it really all pan out? You know, there's that little tiny voice in your head that's always yeah. trying to get in there and <laughs> chip away at your confidence. Um, but when I after I ran that first round, that was it. I knew. I knew it was going to be great. Great, great. And you, you, you won the bronze medal there. What was, what's the moment like when you cross the line and you look at the scoreboard and that's it, I'm an Olympic medalist. Just try and put into words what that moment is like. Well, the moment when you cross the line uh, for me was like, hmm, wonder if I got a medal. Because I didn't want to, I've seen people do a lap of honour only to look up at the scoreboard and see they got fourth. And I was not about <laughs> to do that too. I was like, hmm, I think I got a medal. But I'm not sure because the other girl was really close on my hind parts, right? So, you know, there's only tenth of a second between me and fourth and tenth of a second between me and third. So I was not about to, you know, track is a big place and it's hard to see what's going on. You could think you've got gold only to find out there's two other people that dipped you way over on the, you know, outside lane or something. I wasn't doing that. So I'm just waiting, gold position comes up, silver comes up, and it seemed like 10 million years, and then Tasha Danvers came on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, the best feeling in the world. There's no greater feeling than seeing your name come up in lights on the Olympic big screen. That's the best. It's the best. Yeah, and you enjoy yourself afterwards then, yeah? Just a little bit. Did a couple extra extra moments you know i'm a bit extra yeah yeah good 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 um so did did you move back to the uk after that after um i was in the uk from 2009 to 2013 right okay 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 um and i mean it it, you were unlucky when you were you was injured wasn't it when you were at at your peak really yeah. Man, it's just it. You know, it was it was like downhill from there. <laughs> it was just, it was a silly it was a silly one, though, wasn't it? It was it was a, a yeah. meeting in Cardiff, wasn't it? It was just a silly yeah yeah. Uh, I did the unimportant meeting. 
Yeah, the yeah. Super 8 was the meet um, that I did that year. Um, and I was really excited about Super 8. I think Super 8 was a brilliant idea. Um, but it was cold and um, I probably didn't take care of my body as well as I should. I was being interviewed, I think, after or some of, you know, there was something going on um, after my first race, which I think was 100 hurdles. And so I was out there without my gear on. You know, my legs were exposed to the cold for longer than they should have been. I should have made sure that I got my um, my bits back on uh, as soon as I finished. And then, um, you know, then I did the relay and tore my hamstring almost completely off the bone. Um, and, you know, part of that is the athlete in me as well. Right. Because I. Um, I felt my hamstring go when I was probably about 100 metres into the race you know like I wasn't far into the race it was a 200 relay by the way right my leg was 200 and because it's a relay I couldn't stop like in my mind I couldn't stop I had to get the baton to the next person so I just kept running on it running on it and (laughs) the doctor said when he saw my hamstring he was like oh you were like a few fibers away from having to have it sewn back on (laughs) so it's pretty so that was 2009. And then after that, I was just like, you know what? It just every there was so much going on in my life. Everything just went to crap from there. Yeah. You never really got back, did you, from there? No, 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 no. Too much going on. Yeah. Too much going on. And you did get, I mean, you, did, you spoke about this. You did just suffer depression. And that's absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The thing is, I was I had no knowledge of what depression looked like. Um, mm-hmm. So it just kind of crept up without me really understanding like oh you know you're going through depression I didn't know what that looked like I just knew I didn't feel good um and by the time I talked about it I was probably you know with anyone of significance who could help me um I I was well deep into it so I remember speaking to Dr Dextra who was our team doctor at the time and he you know helped to put Paul, Paul, De- Paul Dexter at UK Athletics, yeah? yeah? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it was him that made me realise that this was not an uncommon thing in athletics, which is quite scary. Um, and I think a lot of athletes don't want to admit it because, you know, you're going to tell your competitor that you're going through mental health issues. You, The whole world thinks you're a superhero, right? Yeah. Um, and to admit that you're going through mental health issues was not a thing it's definitely become more of a a open dialogue which i think is great because the reality is um athletes have higher levels of depression and suicide than usually the nation's average because they're under a lot more pressure and they they don't talk about it they think they're supposed to do better and this happens particularly if they get injured um that even increases more so I think it's so good that, you know, we're seeing major, major names in the sport. Phelps, um, Naomi Osaka in tennis, you know, our, the gymnast, all of them talking about, uh, Simone Biles, all of them talking about um, taking mental health breaks. Um, a lot of people will criticize them, but you, you've, if, you know, particularly people who have not lived in this world, and sports, I just think they have no place having any comments about it. And even sometimes some of the old school, like sometimes we judge what's going on 
with this generation of athletes. Oh, in my day, we would have 50 jobs and still, you know, have to run. In your day, they weren't running nine five in the damn hundred. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, this is a whole different era. In your day, they didn't have social media and people on constantly criticizing you, constantly judging you, having to keep up with a, an image that the whole entire planet could see every single day, 24 hours a day. You didn't have that. Right. So it's we can't even you know, even my generation can't judge this generation and what they're going through mentally. Um, that's a lot. You know, it's a lot. The average person can get you know, go through mental health issues um, just doing a nine to five. So imagine, you know, the pressure, particularly when you start to get sponsors or you start to get funded, the pressure to perform and stay at your best year after year after year after year after year after year, body, mental, emotional. Meanwhile, life is still going on. Things still might be happening. You still might have a broken relationship. You still might have um, someone pass away in your family. No one cares. You're just supposed to keep going and going and going and going. And so I just I'm really glad that there's been more conversation and more um, acceptance and openness that athletes are at the end of the day still human and they still need to take care of themselves, particularly mentally. Because as I said, the mental, there's two sides to that coin. That mental game can absolutely put you on the pinnacle of your career. Absolutely, if you do your mental game, it can do uh, things you wouldn't have even imagined for your career. But it mm. also, on the flip side, can completely destroy you if it isn't taken care of. So there's two sides to that mental coin. If it, if it isn't taken care of, it will absolutely collapse you at some point. Um, I was on a panel not too long ago at my alma mater, USC. And one of the things I said is, you know, if you don't take mental health breaks, they will, they will, you will break. You will just break. There will be a point where, you know, you just break. And that was one of the things with me is I never went on holiday. In the 20 years that I, you know, was doing athletics, I never took a break. I never like said, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, France for the weekend or the week and or a couple of weeks. And I would notice that a lot of us as athletes were, you know, after the meet, they might stay there. Let's say we were in Australia. They might stay an extra two weeks. I was like trying to rush back home to make sure I was, you know, still staying in shape. And, you know, so I was never, ever taking the time. And even mm-hmm. when I was at the meets, I would never really take time my event was usually towards the end because i'm going to be on the relay so some people could finish and then go and enjoy the sceneries explore france explore cyprus and explore jamaica and stuff like that i was always having to be ready all the way to the end because i was either on the relay or a relay reserve and so i couldn't you know, ever just chill out while i was there mm. and see, you know i've traveled the world but i've seen not much of it <laughs> i've seen their hotels and their tracks yeah right and so it's uh it's so important and i'm you know glad and it was it was weird because at that time it was taboo and i remember one of my friends telling me oh you know some you know we had a mutual friend and she's like she said she she heard that your story is out about the um about your mental health issues she said does did tasha know they were going to leak that you know because it's like this taboo tasha knew they were going to leak that because she leaked it herself (laughs) (laughs) But that's the kind of that's the way it was. That's yeah, the way 
mental health was like if it got out you know this dirty little secret of your mental health challenges so I'm really really excited to see that that's changing in sport because it's necessary how did you get yourself back up to a healthy path? You obviously finished your athletics career at this time. How did you get yourself back on a healthy pathway there as a human being? How did that happen? Yeah, you know, it's so weird. First of all, you know, I had obviously, well, not obviously, but for people that don't know, I had a, I had a suicide attempt. And so that was a huge wake up call for, for me um, in terms of how I was managing what needed to be done to manage my mental health, right? You know, the, it was antidepressants the right uh, resource for me? What did I do? And because to be... What, um, what happened What happened there, Tash? What happened in the suicide attempt? Yeah, be any... so I was in um, Bath and I was training with Malcolm Arnold and I was feeling so up and down because I was on antidepressants. And um, within a two-week period, I'd I'd had three different kinds of antidepressants, um, so you know, switch it. They'd been switched. Um, mm. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that's probably like the one of the worst things you can do if you're taking antidepressants is switch brands like in such a short space of time. This is not like taking a headache remedy mm. or something like that. So um, I was feeling so odd, and I couldn't tell. Am I feeling this way because you know I'm just getting old? It was really confusing and frustrating time. And I went to um, and at the time I wasn't sleeping well either. So I had been prescribed uh, sleeping pills. And um, I think because of the antidepressants, because antidepressants, even just if you're taking one, one of the dangers that they will tell you is that you may start feeling worse. You may start feeling suicidal. So you're out of your mind, basically. Um, so I went to practice. And I had a really good practice, you know, for the first time in a long time. So I was really, really excited about the fact that um, I had a really good practice. So on the drive home, I just burst out crying, like sadness crying, not like, oh, I had a great practice. And then my mind just said, you know what, if I can't have a great day and still be happy, that's it. I don't want to be here. So when I got home, I just took all the sleeping pills that I had remaining in my um whatever sleeping pills that I've been given and then I woke up at the hospital with sticky pads on me and I think you know it's just like a, sn- a lightning bolt when was I house, was, house mate find found you or what or it was weird what? because my I had just so ha- not ha- happened to not respond to my mom for the last couple of days or whatever she'd been saying how are you doing or whatever and I'd just been busy I hadn't gotten around to it this wasn't because anything was necessarily wrong I just hadn't gotten around to it so she had already started driving up from London mm-hmm. to Bath where I was so she was already on her way before I even took sleeping pills that's mother's intuition um but then I think I was while I was you know starting to sort of fade out I was messaging my cousin and the messages seemed weird and stuff like that so she started to call raise the alarm um and then an ambulance got set sent over to my house and that's how I ended up in the hospital okay okay yeah. and how did you how did you get yourself out of this then Tash yeah so like I said it was like a lightning bolt when I woke up and you know they're asking me questions like you know do I have any kids where's my son luckily my son was not in this country you know in England at the time so you know, there's no chance of them putting him into uh, care or anything like that because that would have been hell um so the um 
I realized in that moment, waking up with all those sticky pads and, you know, the, the possibility that my son could have, you know, not been been put into a foster system and stuff like that if he'd been with me. Well, I mean, it's hard to say because would it have even happened if he was with me? Probably not. Um, but, you know, there's just it's just the uncertainty. And I just realized in that moment I was in a fight for my life. Right. Because I could have not lived that moment. So it became very clear to me that I was in a fight for my life and I was in that fight for my life with myself, with my own brain. And so I made a decision in that moment that I had to fight with everything in me. Right. Because prior to this, I'm just, you know, I didn't want to go out anywhere. I would just sit in my house at the same spot for ages I would dread going to practice I wasn't eating well I knew eating well could help me but I couldn't get myself to do it you know so you get in this loop and I just realized that I had to fight myself against the way the thinking that got me there so I kind of like analyze how did I get to this point where I felt so low and I just paid attention to what my thinking was like leading up to what was going on and I started to sort of realize that I had to do something to counteract the thoughts that were not serving me, the thoughts, you know, I how how had I spiraled down and how could I spiral up? And I I know it's, this sounds ridiculous, but gratitude was a huge, huge, huge part of the process that allowed me to turn that around Inst- because I noticed that the what had spiraled me down was constantly paying attention to all the things that weren't working this isn't working you know I had a failed relationship I had uh, was seeing someone that went south my son Mm -hmm. wasn't with me and you know there were just so many things leading up to that Um, I was staying with my cousin at the time there was a big huge family um, tragedy that happened so there was a lot of things going on that that kind of spiraled me down so I said, I've got to find a way to spar myself up. And the, the the small act that really was very powerful was starting to be in gratitude for what I had. So, you know, that self-talk, the same kind of self-talk that I talked myself into a great first Olympics was the same kind of thing I did to talk myself back to a healthy mind. So I was saying, you know, well, okay, you know, I'm not happy about this, but I still dot, 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 right? I still have two arms, two legs, and I just find anything to be grateful for. And so as I kept forcing myself, and any time I start getting, you know, depressed or upset about anything, I'd say, you know, I'd find a way to shift my mind to something I was, I could be happy about. And I, it, it really helped me to turn that around and so after that I knew what depression looked and felt like so if any you know it's just like if it was coming anywhere near me I could start to put things in place to to change that Um, and then having the right people around you because I had you know people saw me as Tasha Danvers the motivational speaker and I was still doing motivational speaking all while this is going on um and so I remember telling someone that um I was really suffering mentally and they're like ah you're Tasha Danvers you'll be all right so having the right people around you that will actually take you seriously um don't give up on the first on the first 
rejection or whatever like if you finally get the courage because it takes a lot of courage to admit it um, but if you finally get the courage to tell someone which you should you should find the courage to tell someone if you don't get the the reaction that you you need don't stop there go to the next person on the list and just keep talking until you find someone that will be in support of you and help you through it when you're in depression and feeling low this is not a time to isolate yourself not isolating yourself is the worst thing you can absolutely do when you're feeling down and it's counterintuitive because when you're down you don't want to be around people but i would say force yourself force yourself to speak up force yourself to talk about it force yourself to uh, connect with someone who will support you in in getting healthier again so is that what you're doing there tash because the 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 experiences you've gone through there with your athletics life and and you know and, and that experience you've talked about there is that is that what's brought you to the point where you're now with this motivator for, for businesses well, and think, like yeah i think motivator has always been in my blood but you know yeah you know. I, I, well it definitely has yeah I, I, i've had a couple of chats with you over the years and i've always found you you want to yeah. has that ability to make people feel good and reassess things my middle yeah. name right so, yeah, it's, it's part, part, part of gossip, part of therapy, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, I do, you know, it's something I've always done naturally. Um, but definitely going through my experience, I wouldn't want anyone to ever go through that stuff. Right. So if I can do anything to um, prevent someone else from having to suffer in that way, uh, 1000 percent, because it's not necessary. OK, OK. To, to, to take me through your life now then well, you're, in, you're in LA give me, give me a week in the life of Tash Danvers what's it typically involved a week days? in the life in <laughs> Tash Danvers you know I, I coach you know I do I not coach out on the track or anything like that but coaching yeah. in terms of um, helping people get their life to where they want um, you know I speak when I'm requested and other than that I just try to to be a uh, light for other people so I have a women's group that I work with and we keep each other accountable and things like that and just you know work through processes of of elevating our lives and and things like that so yeah you know I um uh, it's kind of like the the everyday person's version of <laughs> of what I was doing when I was an athlete so I was speaking I was coaching I was doing those things but I was just an athlete as well so now it's just like the athlete part's gone and I you know help people create success in their lives how, how do you enjoy yourself do you still do you still do a bit, do a bit of singing you're quite singing weren't you at one point you no know, singing's never gonna leave me it's uh it's in my blood so <laughs> I'm always gonna be singing I make up songs I'll go on YouTube and find an instrumental and just freestyle something or you know I love learning so I'm always I'm trying to behave like trying to rein myself in like I'm always signing up for some course or something you know some certification something I'm always overly uh stretching myself too thin because there's like 28 courses I'm enrolled in I can't get any of them done Um, but that's really enjoyable for me and then just you know hanging out with friends and family Good, good, good. Uh, and what's your link with the sport then still? Your son's competing there now, is he, Jaden? Yeah, so my son is at San Jose State University and he um, is a one. So he does the 200 and 400 and I'm still trying to um, force him to do the hurdles. He's got long legs. The guy's uh, like 5'11", 6 foot and he's straight exactly like I was, just the boy version and taller. So he's got super long legs and I've seen him hurdle. He's, he's a decent hurdler. 
Um, he's well, he's good. I think he's a good hurdler, but he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. But I'm trying to like plant seeds. Every time I see his friends, I'm like, you know, Jaden should hurdle. And then every time I, I said, put the word out, put the word out, Jaden should hurdle. But we'll see. I think, um, I think eventually he might give it a try. I think his university might, might, uh, put him in, throw him in it one day. It's like, hey, Jaden, we need extra points. We need you in the hurdles. <laughs> so. A penny will drop one day, hopefully then, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, what, what, what's your thoughts on the four hundred hurdles these days? Because that is that's your event. It's it's a crazy event hey, these days, isn't it? Mate, on the men's and women's side, it's crazy. Let's just say I'm glad I'm not doing it because that. Whoa. <laughs> that. It's, oh my God! Like, what are we on? What is happening? Yeah. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, though, to be fair, I think that the um the times that we're seeing now for the women's hurdles is the times that they always should have been. Like these are. You know, because you used to look at the four hurdles and say, man, you know, it's kind of like they're getting away with these times should be way faster with these hurdles as low as they are. Right. So. I think this is now comparable to where, you know, women's hurdles should be in the four hurdles. So it's really impressive. But man, it's fast. I'm glad I'm watching. Yeah, It's quick. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Good. Well, thanks, Tash. It's been great to catch up. Good to see you. You're looking very happy these days. Well, you know, I do try. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, how do you look back in your career now? you have a bit of affection for it or how do you look back in it all? Yeah, you know, when I first left it, it was hard because, it, you know, it was, I didn't leave on a note where like, yeah, that was such a great experience. I left during a phase with depression and all that. So, you know, it it it, it was painful to look back on, you know, the stress of all that. But now, you know, athletics gave me many, many great experiences. I wouldn't know you, right, if I didn't go to, if I wasn't <laughs> in sport. So that's one thing right there, you know what I mean? I've been a very really small thing, Tash, a very small thing. Yeah, you know, I have to go zorping, <laughs> do, you know, question a sport and things you would never, ever do in your life if you don't, yeah. you know, the, it's the, it's the, it's those types of experiences that it all brings. I got to stand on the podium in the centre of the Olympic arena um there are just moments you know i got to in 2012 be a part of um you know the the olympians they brought the olympians in to watch and so i got to be in the stadium that's the first time i ever went to an opening ceremony because uh, we weren't allowed to go to an opening ceremony before so to be able to go to london where i was born and be at that opening ceremony and in the immersed in the experience the drummers were coming down this the stadium and watch it all I probably wouldn't have done those things if I didn't do sport. Sports has forced me to become a person who um, always wants to better myself. Um, you know, I was I had great parents who, you know, my mum was really a driven person. So she really um, was always encouraging me in that sense. So I had her plus the sport really um, to elevate me in that sense. And sports, it just, you know, if you can, if you can recognize how it parallels life, um, you really can do amazing things no matter what. Sports gives you the, the equipment to be successful in anything. If you can recognize, you know, the, the similarities and implement them into other areas of your life. So I will always be grateful for what sport has given me. And, you know, if, you know, go, if I could do it again, I'd, I'd, I'd be even wiser about it.
right about the way that I did it you know networking and connecting with people and staying in touch and things like that I would have been a lot smarter about those things as well um because you meet so many people you have so many opportunities and it doesn't last forever but if you really maximize on it in the time that you have it can create splendid opportunities for yourself and and the people in your lives as well so sports is amazing Good, thanks, Tash. Well, before we end, I'm just going to say, uh, express my gratitude to you, actually, as well, Tash, because I remember, I've, I don't like to bring myself to the podcast too much, but um, I remember when you won the Olympic, Olympic bronze, and I got to spend some time with you then, because I was the media guy for the GB team, and it's hard work, the Olympics, it's like, you know, it's 18, 20-hour days, it's, 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 it's a great privilege, but it's, it's yeah, draining. I can only imagine, I can only imagine. But, when you won a medal, and you were, you were absolutely, an absolute bundle of joy for like, that's two hours going, being interviewed by the BBC, and you were just an absolute joy. You were screaming down the phone to your mum, mum and dad, uh, on my phone, and just hearing the screams coming from London into the Beijing Stadium through my phone was just, um, just an absolute yeah. joy to spend that time with you. And it was a real, a real highlight of, um, yeah, my career, that spent that with you. Uh, and to add to that, I remember seeing you a couple of years after that at London Youth Games, and uh, you dug out your medal, um, and you looked at me and said to me, do you remember that, Chris? That was our special day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you absolutely flooded me with goosebumps, which is a lovely thing to say. So that's my gratitude to you. Thank you. Oh, well, Chris, it's always been a pleasure to be able to be in your space. Um, there's... There's a lot of people in this planet and there's not a lot that are just genuine good people. And you're one of those people that I classify in my life as just genuinely great person. And for me, it's, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to know you. So I appreciate it. Keep spreading that gold dust for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Tash. By the way, he didn't pay me for that. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just so happy to see you still, um, you know, doing great things and, and you've, you've got your family now. So I'm, I'm happy to see you happy and healthy as well. Cause, you know, we've, we've been doing this, this thing for a long time. <laughs> we've, you know, we've known each other for a long time and just to see each other getting on and doing well, um, it just, it warms my heart. And so I'm grateful for you, right? You were always just, you know, you were never one of the media people. I was like, oh God, here he comes. <laughs> like I said, you're just such a great guy. So I just wish you so much health, wealth and happiness. Oh, thanks, Tash. It's great spending another hour with you. Thanks for listening to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.